This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. I'm Jody Miller Young, your host. I was really fortunate recently to interview both Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir, figure skating Olympic champions. Both of them are so much fun, such nice people, and so talented. And they are co correspondents for some of the biggest sporting events in the world. Think Olympics, Kentucky Derby. They've even done a red carpet for the Academy Awards. So we wanted to make this one show in two parts. So stay tuned for part one of two very fun shows that I had a lot of fun doing with the couple known as the Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey of the Figure Skating Commonwealth. Enjoy. Today's guest is talented, outspoken, fashionably flamboyant, and a big animal lover. I'm talking Johnny Weir, two-time Olympian and three-time U.S. national champion figure skater. Coming out as gay in his 2011 book, Welcome to My World, gave Weir a platform to speak out for other Olympic contenders who might have been afraid to declare. And that fearlessness is a key component of his success. In addition to supporting human rights for all Olympic hopefuls, Johnny killed it on the ice with his gifted performances and dramatic flair in some of the most adventurous and exciting costumes ever, people. He's back for a third year with his equally talented Olympic champion bestie, Tara Lipinski, at the National Dog Show this November, and we're going to be talking everything dog, fashion, skating, and more. But first, we're going to take a short break from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and talk with Johnny. So don't go away. Get comfortable, because this is going to be a fun show. Grab that favorite beverage. We'll be right back. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio, and I'm Jody Miller-Young, your host. We're going to be welcoming onto the show today Olympic champion figure skater, fashion force, and animal lover, Johnny Weir. Hey, Johnny. Hi, Jody. Thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure. We're really excited to have you on. You are, as I said, a two-time Olympian, three-time consecutive U.S. national champion, but you could have become a competitive equestrian. You were a pretty serious rider as a kid, right? I was. You know, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. My village, I, I lovingly refer to my village as a village, had one <laughs> stoplight. So we really had to search far and wide for 
for something that was different other than becoming a farmer or the football player on the high school team eventually. So I was always a little bit awkward and a little bit weird. And I had a lot of friends growing up that I always was interested in things that they weren't necessarily interested in, like horses, which is a big part of my area of Pennsylvania. It's horse country and a lot of people ride and my father rode before me. So it was something that I was interested in. But I was always sort of a little bit outside the box. And I was, I was a great skier when I was young. And uh, eventually I skated for the first time, which was on a frozen cornfield behind my house. So I guess we'll get to that. But yes, I was an equestrian. I, I, had, I had a pony. I watched my family sacrifice a lot so that I could be an equestrian and, and so that I could have my own pony or horse, <laughs> if you prefer. But yeah, I showed at Devon. I showed at a lot of the big shows. And I could have gone quite far, I think. But eventually I had to make the decision between equestrian and figure skating because coming from um, a middle class family, we couldn't afford both. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you made the right choice. I was a rider as a kid, too, for many years and showed and begged for seven years for my horse and finally got him. So I totally feel you about being a horse lover as well. And I think it's really hilarious and amazing that you practiced on this frozen cornfield. And also, I read that even though you trained with some of the best skating coaches in the game, when you were 11 and you sort of became smitten with the sport, you actually taught yourself how to jump on roller skates in your basement. Yeah. So because again, referring back to my village, I didn't have an ice rink that was close by. And and at that time, it was just after the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding saga, when America and the world really were in love with figure skating, the drama, the passion, the sportsmanship, the the technical ability, the grace, of course. And Mm. I was just a fan. I was one of those people. And simply because we didn't have an ice rink, I did the next best thing and taught myself how to do jumps and things in my basement on roller skates. And the winter, I'd say, after the Olympics is the first time I really got on the ice. My parents had found a used pair of ice skates at a Play It Against Sports. I don't know if that even still exists, but a Play It Against Sports. I don't know. (laughs) uh, They were used and old, and they had no support in them. But they had blades on them, and they were black skates. And I took them out back when the cornfield froze over in a big blizzard. And moved everything that I taught myself from the basement on roller skates, I I put it on this weird ice surface. And then, you know, my neighbors and my aunt was a neighbor. Everyone was sort of watching me in the the driveway on the roller skates in the summertime and out on the (laughs) cornfield on ice in the winter and told my parents that they should get me into a group class somewhere. Delaware was the closest training facility that we had to us. So they'd heard about this program where kids can go and learn how to skate and it's fun for everybody. Unfortunately for my parents though, I demonstrated the skills that I taught myself from watching TV and I was able to jump in the first class that I ever took on real ice. And the trainer pulled my mother, very promptly pulled my mother aside and said that I should take this up as a real, as a real future. Figure skating was completely foreign to us and we had no idea what that actually meant or entailed, but my parents sacrificed so much for my career and as did my little brother. And I'm so blessed that it happened in the chain of events that it did. It's an American dream story, you know, and and you have done it with such flair being your own person and that little bit weird and a little bit off that you described how you described yourself as a kid. That's what we love about you. So, you know, it's (laughs) it's worked out really well. Your life has been pretty much a whirlwind with travel abroad, appearances, correspondent duties for major sporting events, the Olympics the Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, now the National Dog Show. What is the most fun thing about living this life? Well, it's 
definitely been a long time coming and something that you don't prepare for when you become an entertainer is that you'll have legs outside of your original craft. So me being a competitive figure skater, while that looks from the outside like a super glamorous little world, it's very cutthroat, it's very difficult, it's very solitary and, and lonely in a lot of ways. Because once you achieve the Olympic level, that's where you want to stay. And the only way to do that is to completely focus on your craft and on your sport, because there's somebody out there who might just have a little bit more advantage than you. There might be somebody that works a little bit harder than you, and you always have to try to stay ahead of the game. And as soon as I got out of competitive figure skating after the Vancouver Olympics, I did have a brief stint of trying to come back, and it just didn't work out for me. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't really know where to go with my life. I didn't know what was going to be next. And because of my personality, and as you said, my bravery, growing up and now, and it's something that I was instilled to in me by my parents, was just to believe in yourself the most and believe in yourself first, because at the end of the day, there might not be anybody else that does. So if you want to succeed in this Good world, lesson. you have to believe in what you're doing. Yeah, mm. it really was. And it helped mm. me to be brave and to try to try everything. But after the Olympics, I think one of the greatest leniencies I gave myself was the ability to fail. So I tried everything. I wrote a book and I did a song and I performed in skating shows all over the world, which I still continue to do. I tour professionally, usually in Asia and Russia, simply because there isn't a whole lot of opportunity for skating in the U.S. at the moment. But I've been able to have second legs as a professional skater, touring the globe with my friends and people that I competed with growing up. And now, because of my success on television before I even was a commentator with my own reality show, NBC had sort of given me the side eye long ago, hoping that I would get into uh, becoming a sports correspondent for them and an Olympics analyst. And I've really become, I think, great personality for the network. And I'm definitely something different. And when they put us into the Olympics in Sochi, me and Tara, we somehow generated all of this, this buzz. And we were the B team. We were on the second channel. And we were on you killed MS, it. NBCS, and thank you. And we were all the way over in Russia. We didn't really know what was going on back here. And then uh, we'd see little things pop up on Twitter and Instagram and all of our social media outlets. And, you know, we were just stunned by how people responded to us and how much they were able to enjoy it. And it was our first Olympics. So looking back, that first Olympics definitely has been the most groundbreaking, the most eye-opening, and the, the best memory that I've had so far since my own Olympic success and my own success in competitive figure skating, it just was dreamlike. And as soon as we got home, almost, we were, we were made the A-team. So Tara and I, we were very competitive people, and we knew that that was something that we wanted down the line, but we never expected it to happen so quickly. Yeah, I mean, you guys were the standout stars of Sochi. How did you meet? How did you start this love affair between the two of you? We're going to jump around because, you know, it's <laughs> just from what you're saying, it's opening up all these other things. But how did that happen? Yeah, so despite being in the same world and both being figure skaters, Tara achieved so much at a young age, and I'm only two years younger than her, but she achieved so much at a young age, was able to tour professionally for many years before I even really found my legs in figure skating and was a national champion. So she was already kind of out of the figure skating world and, and living the team and still skating occasionally, but not as much, and I was still competing and, and touring. So we never had the opportunity really to meet. And then when I did finally stop skating in the fall of 2013 competitively, officially retired and all, Tara and I were both on the weekend broadcast of the Grand Prix series, which happens every fall and will happen again this fall on NBC. And she was covering the women's competition and I was covering the men. And we, you know, coming from figure skating, as I already mentioned, it's pretty cutthroat and pretty dramatic. So we aren't the most trusting people 
And I say we as all figure skaters. <laughs> We're not the most trusting people. So it took us a minute to really start to enjoy being around one another and to take in each other's smells and to have each other's back. But we weren't partners yet. We were just co-workers. Mm-hmm. And we had the radical idea one night out in New York City having drinks and, and dinner that we should, you know, bring it to our producers that we should be together. And we would both commentate the men and the women. And at the Olympics, we thought it would be a lot more dynamic. So they took, NBC took a chance and our producers and our whole team, there's a whole team that makes these broadcasts happen. They took a chance and let us do it. And it was an instant hit. And then Sochi happened. So now we've been inseparable work-wise and in our personal lives. And it's so natural, you know, I mean, you can tell you guys are best friends. And I love that you've been called the Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey of the figure skating Commonwealth. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I did hear that one. I mean, we really get everything. We get the Will and Grace. We get the, the Jimmy and <laughs> Tina, you know, Sonny and Cher. We get lots of Hunger Games references, you know, and that that's hilarious for us. Our favorite thing is when we look at our shared Instagram and Twitter accounts at Tara and Johnny and see people saying, uh, tagging their best friend and saying, this is us at so-and-so. This is so us. And it's just Tara and I being silly and, and, you know, living our dream and having just the best time. I mean, who is lucky enough to really get to work with their best friend. And we we really appreciate it. And we know how lucky we are. So we definitely work hard for for the audience and for one another. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Now, I don't know if a lot of people know this about you, but you're a self-proclaimed Russophile. You speak Russian, you've traveled there quite a lot. They even named an asteroid after you with the suggestion of your Russian fans. (laughs) I read that too. (laughs) Yes. Now I can't I can't tell you the exact coordinates of, I can't tell you the exact <laughs> coordinates of my asteroid or my car actually is but it's very impressive. So I um I've been sort of fascinated by Russia since I was really young and I think it was just because I was formative there in the 90s and it was just after the fall of the Soviet Union. I have parents that remember the Cold War and grandparents that remember the Cold War and World War II and you know, it just seemed fascinating to me that it, that a place and a country and an entire people could really raise so many emotions in my closest family. Mm-hmm. So I, of course, being me, had to, had to study it and learn everything I could. And I started tracing and, and learning the alphabet on paper when I was about six. And it was completely natural. It didn't come from anywhere. I just was interested in Russia. And through figure skating, because Russia is such a strong country in my sport, I decided I wanted to learn Russian. So I taught myself to speak and worked with some of the top Russian legendary coaches and choreographers throughout my career. And I was lucky enough for that. I trained in Moscow. I've competed and toured in Russia for the better part of my career. Many of my friends are Russian. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I, I married a Russian back in the day. Some of my closest, closest confidants are Russian people. And I can say that I'm a Russophile and, and obsessed with this country, but it's, it's not really an obsession. It just is something that feels really natural to me. It's like part and, of your um, DNA. It definitely yeah. helps me. It's, yeah, I don't even know why. Because, I mean, my lineage is Welsh and Norwegian the whole way down. There's no Russian. But many Russians have, have lovingly accepted me as having a Russian soul and a Russian heart. And, you know, I'm, maybe I'm a very... Maybe a past life Russian body? Uh, I'm a big, you never know. Maybe. I'm a, I'm a big advocate. <laughs> you know, nowadays, it's a little bit rough to say that you love Russia in this country. But, you know, it's a fantastic country. And it's a lot more than just their, their politics. The same yeah, as, I mean, as the rest why, of the world looks at the United States. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask you about it because it is so much a part of our daily news today and you've had experience uh, you've experienced it from the inside so I did want to know what the attraction for you was with the culture with the people you know with the place 
And I would love to hear a little more about, you know, what you love about the culture. You've been there a lot. You've toured there. You've got a lot of friends. What is it about the culture that really attracts you so? I think that something about the people, most Russian people that I love so much, is their ability to go with their gut. So when you meet somebody new, it's not coming from the Soviet era. A lot of the population aren't very giving. They're not very trusting, which is how I felt a lot of my life growing up. But as soon mm -hmm. as you have that first meal or you make eye contact the first time, you guys are friends for life. I mean, there are people that unfortunately due to my lifestyle and how much I travel and stuff, I don't get to see them all the time but they never forget my birthday. They always wish me Happy New Year and vice Aww. versa. And it just has been really enriching to my life to have Russians in it because mm -hmm. we can get so, so fishbowled in the United States. We have so much opportunity. We have so many great things here. We have a lot of bad stuff too, but it can be really easy to become just an American and forget that there's a big world out there. That's something exactly. that's a small town. I appreciate so much about the world that I get to see and then so lucky to get to see. Russia is an awesome place, and, and I hope people can remember and, and also not judge me too much for saying how much I love it because nations are a whole lot more than their politicians. Yeah, I think so, it's so um, important yeah, to I've, make that distinction. That yes, <laughs> absolutely. You also collect, now let me see if I can get this right, Cheb Barashka. Did I say it right? <laughs> um, yeah, you're very close. You're very close. So Chiburashka is the cutest Soviet era cartoon. And it's this little bear, sort of bear monkey creature. He, he doesn't, nobody really knows what he is or even if he's a he. But he arrives in Russia in an orange crate. And he <laughs> doesn't have anywhere to go. Nobody really knows what he is. He acts like a human, but he looks like an animal. And he goes to make friends with, with Gienna, the crocodile. There's a lady named Lady Shepakliak that runs around and tries to discourage any plan that Chiburashka might have. And it's a very cute thing. So if everyone's to Google it, you certainly can. And all of the videos are with, tra are with translation and stuff on YouTube. But I just fell in love with him because he was in this foreign place and felt so different and felt strange. And, you know, that's how I grew up. That's where I come from. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I can't say that I... I can't say that I actively go and, and collect Chiburashka memorabilia so much anymore, but there's a lot of stuff out there and he's so cute. And I definitely, now that I have this whole horde of Chiburashka dolls and movies and coffee mugs and blankets and all of this crazy stuff, all of my friends and family that are my age are starting to have families of their own. So I definitely try to pass on my love of Chiburashka to everybody. Very sweet. Very cool. Back in 2012, you represented the U.S. as a Goodwill Sporting Ambassador to Japan for Hillary Clinton, which must have been really cool. What was that like and what did you get to do? Well, I was in an outreach uh, position for not only a sports goodwill ambassador, but as an ambassador for the LGBT community. And I think that as a gay man, I, I definitely am not doing as much as many other activists will do. And I don't consider myself an activist, if anything, a passive activist. And through filming a, a film, To Russia With Love, that I helped produce, sort of centered around the anti-gay laws in Russia ahead of the Sochi Olympics. And mm -hmm. if the countries that are pro-gay should boycott the Olympics, and it was a whole struggle and it was a whole thing. But I definitely feel that I have an obligation to athletes that come after me and I have an obligation to people that come from small towns to really live my truest life and tell people that I'm normal. I work just as hard as anybody else to achieve things in my life and there's a whole lot more to a person than what they're born as. 
you know, I could have born, been born a Jewish woman or an African-American man that has a few children and a very normal life and pays taxes, but I was born a gay white guy. And mm-hmm. I want everyone to have that unity. So anyway, in addition to sort of promoting figure skating in Japan, where figure skating is already very big, and I enjoy a big following in Japan, you know, I wanted to bring a bit of American value and a bit of American openness to how they view athletes around the world that may not be your typical jock. <laughs> and that's right. certainly me. So how, I was, how very, was it received? very honored to be there. How was, was it great. received? Um, because I, they I, are pretty spiritual people, I'm, aren't they? Yes, and and LGBTQ people are accepted in Japan, but it isn't talked about so much, not as much as here. I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race certainly wouldn't be on Japanese television, for example. But we are, as a community, very accepted in Japan. But for me, at that time, I was was newly married, and I wanted to show just how normal and how hardworking gay people can be. So it was a very well-received movement, and we had a skating clinic. You know, it was definitely sort of a decorative role for me. It was a one-time only, but I was so honored that the government in the U.S. State Department asked me to represent my country as more than just an Olympian, but as, as a human abroad. Absolutely. So it definitely still cheers me up. Absolutely. Now, this show is about living stylishly with your dog, and we love fashion here. You have, hands down, the most adventurous fashion sense in the sport, and I love in general how you put yourself together. So... <laughs> really, and you've even designed costumes for fellow Olympic skaters, right? I think Yuzuru Hanyu wore one of your designs when he yes. won Olympic gold in 2014. Yes, he did. That's yes, pretty he cool. did. Now, <laughs> I love fashion, and and through figure skating, I mean, I see fashion and costuming as two very different things. So, when I was uh, competing, and even now when I perform. I don't leave anything up to anybody else. I'm so micromanaging because once you're out on that ice, you're standing out there, you're alone. Nobody can save you. No one can help you. So I like to have my hand on the pulse of every decision that's made for my career. So I always design my own costumes. I've worked with the same seamstress there on 8th Avenue since I was 12 years old. And um, I just, I love the the idea of creating a moment and creating a mood and a character for people that are watching me skate. Now, the fashions I put myself together in every day are quite different than the, than the sparkly, outrageous costumes. But, you know, definitely a big part of entertaining people comes through in my fashion. And I think that's something that, you know, it's been, it's very cool that it's been celebrated through my commentating as well. I remember before before the Sochi Olympics, NBC told me, well, you know, for the men, Brooks Brothers usually provides our men's their suits and you get special tailoring and all this stuff. And while I think <laughs> Brooks Brothers is great, yes, it is, yeah, but... it isn't my style. So, right. <laughs> so I told them, you know what, I've got some great vintage Chanel. I have some amazing Dior pieces. I'll bring all of those and you just have to trust me. And I think they trusted me because I was on the second channel. We weren't doing the, the NBC primetime figure skating coverage. We were doing NBCSN live in the middle of the day. Who's going to see me if I make a fashion mistake? But it just, it really was crazy. And I, I, I love fashion and I collect things all over the world because, you know, a great blazer from the 70s to me is kind of a Picasso. Oh my God! Yes. Uh, so I oh, I would love to roam around your closet, Johnny Weir. <laughs> yes. Gosh, it isn't even just a closet anymore. I mean, I've been collecting as long as I can remember. The first time I ever even made seventy-five dollars for performing in an ice show somewhere in rural Pennsylvania at an, at an ice rink. 
I remember that that $75 I saved up and went to buy some whatever at that time was a fabulous pair of jeans or suede coat. I've always, always, always collected and saved my shekel for <laughs> for That was me. And, um, yep. I, yeah. I mean, Literally. I just love it. And it's more than a closet. Now it's kind of an archive space. There's just so much and I have such, such a hard time getting rid of things. Me too. Oh my God. But you know what? I'm always happy that I didn't get rid of it because everything seems to come back around. You know, it, it's almost like that fashion is, is taking it decade by decade. What turns you on in fashion right now? Right this second. Well, there's something to be said for sort of free clothing. So clothing that it comes from being in Asia a lot, I think, but they will, the younger designers will create a free size garment. So it fits everybody differently, but it fits everyone. So Hmm. what may be a a sort of tight fitting, very angular t-shirt on a man that's six foot on a woman that's five, three, it's a dress, right? So I think that that's something that's really interesting in fashion right now, that sort of free flowing sexless, artwork. I mean, of mm-hmm. course, I love brocade and I love beading. And I think, you know, for the the Olympics coming up in South Korea, I'll definitely be bringing a lot more brocade and a lot more fitted suiting than I usually do because mm-hmm. I just, you know, at my age of 33 and my body type, it's working for me right now. But what I really love is how free fashion has become, how everyone can wear anything as long as you feel beautiful in it. Because to me, that's the whole point of fashion. I totally, totally agree. Because it is an art form. And, you know, you have to sort of be your own artist and sort of paint what's right for you. And I love that it's all accepted now. We are going to take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to talk National Dog Show. And we're going to talk to you, Johnny, about the love of your life, which I promise you, everyone, you're not going to want to miss. So don't go away. Just refresh that beverage, get comfortable, and we'll be right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back. Right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Konica, the German shepherd that I rescued, was stinky, skinny, and scrawny, full of skin rashes and scratching. And I started feeding Konica Dynavite, and he became such a happier, itch-free stink-free dog that I dug deeper into the website. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. What if in addition to Dynavite, we do the raw beef and the egg diet and see what happens? Forget all these 50-pound bags, the formulated, extruded, processed cereal bits that cost a ton of money anyways. This dog's as close to a wolf as you can get. They're carnivores. With just the raw meat and the eggs and the Dynavite and Super Omega on top of it, it just balances out his body and his mind and his spirit. It's, it's unbelievable. Hey, if you're thinking about rescuing a dog, you got to start them out on Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Want to know who the latest trendsetters are in Hollywood? How about Irish setters? Find out who's been spotted with Spot, chowing with their chow, and shopping for Gucci with their Poochie. Get, get the scoop on all the latest celebrity pet patter right here. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back. If you've just joined in, you're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio, and we're here with Olympic skating champion and lifestyle correspondent, Johnny Weir. Now, 
Johnny, on November 18th and 19th, you and Tara are going to be once again sort of the correspondents of the Kennel Club of Philadelphia's National Dog Show presented by Purina. And it's what it's a tradition every year. It airs on NBC on Thanksgiving Day to something like 20 million viewers. It's very big. And like the Olympics, you and Tara have brought this sort of fashion forward sense of fun to the sport. I love how you guys banter and dish about your social lives, dogs, fashion. What is the most fun thing about being correspondents for a big dog show? Well, for us, Tara and I treat events like the National Dog Show, like the Super Bowl, like showing up at the Oscars. We treat ourselves kind of as cultural attaches to the public because we're the same as you guys. We're the same as everybody watching at home that may not really know what's going on. So we really like to delve in and get the behind the scenes, the culture of an event, what makes this event special. And the National Dog Show, what keeps us coming back is the personalities behind the scenes, behind that big curtain. You know, the dogs are so individual and so singular in so mm. many ways. Each dog, no matter no matter the breed, they all have such vibrant and lovely personalities. And then I think most of us probably have seen Best in Show. And, oh, um, my God, yes. That <laughs> film to be such a dramatization. But it is definitely, it's definitely real. You have people back there that are cool and chill and know that they've got this event and their dog is going to do great. And then you have the very wild ones that run around chalk flying everywhere and brushes and bows and, you know, uh, (laughs) food and the, the humans are freaking out and the dog, the poodle's just sort of sitting there looking from side to side, like what is going on around me? And I think that that's what Tara and I love so much about it is it's completely unexpected. You're dealing with dogs. And uh, we, of course, as dog lovers and as uh, Pennsylvania born people, we both really love going back to the Philadelphia area and supporting our state and then supporting the massive talents within it. That's fantastic. Do you have a most memorable experience from the past two years from the National Dog Show? Well, I think any time that you put a cute, fuzzy animal near me, I'm happy about it. <laughs> and I think it's a great memory. <laughs> But something, something that happened last year, and it wasn't necessarily at the dog show, but it was uh, the day before I was doing a satellite press tour for Purina, who is the sponsor of the National Dog Show, and, you know, in collaboration with NBC. And I was sort of just getting the word out that, that the show was coming because it's filmed on November 18th and 19th, and it actually airs on Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. the people that are in the building know what happened on the day, but NBC does an amazing job of packaging it, making it beautiful, and really bringing it home for everybody on Thanksgiving. But this year for the satellite tour, I did it the year before as well, and we did it in New York City, so my puppy did not travel with me to do it. But this year, because it was close to home, I took him with me to do the satellite tour, and it definitely was one of my favorite memories that I have doing dog shows because we've also done the Beverly Hills dog show now that mm-hmm. uh, is kind of a, a partner to the national dog show that airs on Easter. But Tioma, who is my Japanese chin, he's five years old now. He came with me to the satellite tour and he was in awe of everything going on around him. Now, I can't say that he's professionally trained, but he's an awesome, awesome dog. He behaves himself. He flies very quietly. He's my best, best friend and my greatest companion. 
And he was so overwhelmed with what was going on because they had a sort of set up in the middle of the show space. So, of course, he could smell all the other dogs. There were giant Great Danes walking by and he was freaking out. So we were on the satellite tour with wherever, somewhere, somewhere, Montana or somewhere, somewhere, New Mexico. And he's just barking through my whole interview. And it was just the <laughs> cutest thing. And then at the end of it all, I ran him around the ring just so that he could feel like he was one of the show dogs, too. But definitely that's my favorite, favorite memory. That is really, really cute. I love it. Uh, and you've actually, you've done the reveal. You've done the reveal before I did, which is fine. I'm sorry. He is the love I'm of sorry. your life, I, right? I couldn't, I couldn't leave it to you. Yeah, he is the love <laughs> of my life. And that's why I had to take, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That's all uh, right. But I want you to tell us the love story of Choma and Johnny, how you met. When did you know it was meant to be? Well, you know, I'm divorced now, but before, just after I got married, I, um, I had fallen in love with Japanese chin. They were in the ads for Louis Vuitton, the black and white uh, Japanese chins. And I was living in an apartment with a new husband. I knew that I needed a, a dog that was quiet. I did all the research on Japanese chins to really be sure that I could be a great human to a Japanese chin and that a Japanese chin would be a great companion for me. And it was um, a very well, well-liked place. And so anyway, I walk in just on a down day and it was uh, the first time I'd ever gone in this place. And I was by myself and I saw two Japanese chins sitting there. And from the Louis Vuitton ad of, of all places that I would find a dog, I knew that I loved the black and white, but I didn't really realize that the blonde and white exists. And there were, there were several color combinations that were breed standard for mm -hmm. Japanese chin. And I wanted to hold the black and white Japanese chin first. And while I was holding him behind him, his brother was scratching on the cage and started to, to whimper and snip and just wanted to come out and say hello so much. So the girl that was working, she pulled Choma out for me, and he was so excited. He jumped out of the, the little pit that he was being put in so that I could interact with him. He jumped right into my arms. He licked my face. He did all of those cute things that puppies do when people fall in love with them. And Choma just won me over with his panache, his style, his overwhelming love. And um, a week later, I was able to bring Choma home after he'd gone through all of his vetting procedures and he was old enough to go home with a human. And it was, the bond was so immediate. And I sound like a crazy person when I talk about this, but I tell my mom and dad all the time how much I love him. And, you know, on a regular basis, he can still make me cry because just cute things that he'll do. What's your favorite <laughs> um, thing? What's your favorite he, thing that he does? Well, he's so sleepy. So he's an awesome dog and he plays and he loves, he gets so many toys. And, and Japanese chin are very regal dogs. They were originally bred to warm the laps and feet of Japanese royalty. And he's very regal the way he sits. He's very regal with the way he watches television, but he's a strong little man. So he barks and he will go crazy when there are wolves on TV. He um, is very aware of how loved and how strong he is. So he's mm -hmm. definitely a big dog in a little dog's body. But when he sleeps, he sleeps with me and he has his own fuzzy blankets and things that I put up on the bed and he makes a nest. And, you know, by the morning, of course, he's he's spooning with me and <laughs> waking him up. Waking him up, I think, is my favorite thing because he gets a full massage every morning before he even opens his eyes. So wow. I know he's awake and he 
he just sort of will sort of move in a way that he knows that I'll massage his chest and then I massage his knees and then I massage his ankles and his back and his tail and his head and his ears. And he waits for this every morning. So he does get angry when I travel. But my favorite thing is definitely waking up next to him and having him just do his pampered pup sort of (laughs) massage position. And they're so cozy when they wake up in the morning. It's really delicious. (laughs) I love it with our dogs. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I'm going to just... Do you have large dogs? No, I have small dogs. We have four dogs. Our largest is our terrier terror, Jasper, who's about 19 pounds. And our littlest ones are our most recent, a father and daughter, Chihuahua. And the father, Albie, is five pounds. So, and they all, we got very lucky because they all get along. You know, we could have gone a lot of different ways, but they all get along. And it's the nicest, most wonderful thing. And we feel like our lives are so much richer for having these fur kids in our home. You know, it's just. Yeah, it's just a really nice, beautiful thing. So I'm going to skip over to the Olympics in Pyeongchang again. Is this your first time going to Pyeongchang or to Korea in general? Well, luckily, I don't know what it is about my face, but I have been able to <laughs> tour and perform and be, have a huge following in Asia, not just Japan, so South Korea, also China. And I don't know what it is about me. Maybe I look a little bit like an anime with my large eyes. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but yes, I have been to South Korea. I haven't been to Pyeongchang yet. And I, I only say it Pyeongchang because we're being told that's the proper way to say it. But I also think it's Pyeongchang. But anyway, Pyeongchang. <laughs> um, I've never been. But I have seen photographs from our producers and our bosses of the progress that the city has made in preparing for these games. And, mm-hmm. and I just think it's going to be incredible. The next three Olympics, a lot of people don't realize this, are going to be in Asia. So Pyeongchang is this coming February. February 2018 mm-hmm. winter, and mm-hmm. then 2020, the Summer Olympics are in Tokyo, and then 2022, the Winter Olympics will be in Beijing. And then, of course, Paris was awarded the 2024 summer, and Los Angeles, the 2028 wow. summer. But, wow. Um, yeah. So Didn't know that. We got the inside scoop. So far out. Yeah. Yeah. Inside yeah. scoop. But, but um, South Korea, it's just going to be amazing. And I love Asian fashion. So certainly I'm going to be bringing a lot of kimono realness to our broadcast. And Tara's <laughs> really go, excited. <laughs> yeah. Tara won her, her Olympic title in Japan. So Asia definitely is a very special place in her heart. And uh, we're both excited about South Korea. Well, we cannot wait to see what you guys are wearing and what you have to talk about and just the entertainment that is Johnny and Tara for those Olympics. We're going to be watching for sure. What was your most favorite moments from Rio? Because I heard that you brought your whole closet to Rio or room. <laughs> I brought I brought maybe a quarter a quarter of my closet to Rio. So Rio was was a very interesting place. There is of course the extreme beauty of Christ the Redeemer, the big statue, the beautiful Copacabana beach. But Brazil is still a developing country and Rio is still a developing city. So there were bits of uncomfort at being down there. So mm-hmm. Tara and I weren't advent- as adventurous as we usually are in foreign countries. We um, really take pride in, in getting out there and, and walking the cities that we're visiting, you know, even in American before that, that we will for skating events. You know, we really love to have our feet on the ground and, and see what's up. 
But Brazil was a, a little bit rough to do that. You needed a security detail to go really out at night, and there were a lot of safety concerns for us. So we didn't actually get to enjoy as much as we usually do, but the people were very welcoming to the Olympic Games, and that can be a hard sell especially in a developing country, but people were so excited that the Olympics were there. People yeah. were so happy that the world was watching their city and their country. And that definitely is a great memory. But Tara and I had so much fun, and we always do, just yucking it up in the car or creating our Instagram videos when we decide that we're going to learn how to synchronize swim, but with no real coaching, we're just going to teach <laughs> each other how to synchronize swim. I mean, we have the best time. So whenever Tara and I are together, it doesn't matter where in the world it is, we're right at home. You make your own entertainment. My last question, Johnny, is sort of a big picture question that we'll leave listeners with. The banter, the flamboyance, the fun of watching the two of you commentate, you know, it definitely brought a freshness and definitely some sex appeal to figure skating. What do you hope to leave viewers with about the sport and about you both? Well, I suppose something that's very important to Tara and I and something that's, that sometimes I think is easy to forget because we are such a two-person show and we have the fashion and we have the witty banter and we are friends. All of those things go into making us good at what we do. But ultimately what we want, well, I think makes us good at what we do. That's <laughs> um, very pompous. But, you know, I think we're great. And I think we have a great time doing it and we work very hard for it. But what we want to impart on our audience is always how wonderful figure skating is, how we want to educate the public on what exactly they're watching. The mm -hmm. figure skating world has gone through a lot of upheaval, a lot of revolution since the early 2000s with uh, judging systems and trying to make things fair. The systems are so different in technicalities and the skaters themselves are doing so much harder, difficult programs than they ever did. And we want people to understand why they're so hard. Not just that they're so hard, but why. We want them to understand why this spin is more difficult than that, or this jump is so much more difficult than the one that their competitor just did. We really want people to have a supreme understanding of what they're watching and respect the, the sport of figure skating because people, you know, there are those football guys out there that say, oh, it's not a sport. Well, I challenge any football player in the world to try to do the things that these skaters do and not cry after day one. So, oh, my God, you know, yes. <laughs> and of course, but it definitely the, the main focus as figure skating commentators is that we want our audience to enjoy themselves. It is a TV show, after all, that we're trying to make for them. But we really want them to appreciate and understand what they're seeing. And I think that we've done a good job of that so far. And we can't wait to do it again for the 2018 Olympics. We can't wait to. Thank you so much, Johnny, for taking the time out to speak with us. You can keep up with Thank Johnny you. and all of his adventures on both Twitter and Instagram at, at Johnny G. Weir, right? And is yes, there any is other right. place you want to steer people to? Or is it mainly Instagram and Twitter for you? Well, Instagram and Twitter, of course, I think are the way people stay in touch and the way people do things. But, you know, I do have an official Facebook and then through the entire fall, I'll be with you guys every weekend on television commentating the Grand Prix series, the Grand Prix final, the European figure skating championships, the United States figure skating championships, all on NBC and ultimately culminating with the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang. So in addition to social media, I'll be on your TVs all the time.
So, so here's hope. We'll be watching. Well. We will be watching. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producer, Mark Winter. Mark, you make us sound great. My passion is living stylishly and animal rescue. So tune in next time to discover the designers, home decor, styles, and rescue stories I love. Don't forget to visit me at BarkandSwagger.com where you'll find great fashion, shelter stories, and more. So until next time, when fierce fashion calls, what are you going to do? Bark and Swagger. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.